0: Uh, grab your seats. We're going to go ahead and get started with God's Word. If you've got your Scripture journals, uh, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 40, continuing on uh, in the, with the story of how God is working through and with Joseph. Joseph. So, uh, Genesis chapter 40, if you happen to have the pew Bible, or I don't know what we call them, row seat Bible, uh, page 33 is where you want to be. So, uh, Genesis chapter 40, uh, we are right smack in the middle of the story of Joseph and what God is doing in Joseph's life. You'll recall, uh, so we've, we've been with Joseph for about two weeks now. Uh, two weeks ago, Matt shared uh, some themes that we see throughout the story of Joseph. Uh, and so I just want to re- refresh our memory on those. These are some themes we see over and over again about how God interacts with Joseph. So, so those are God sends Joseph. God sends Joseph with the purpose to preserve life and keep people alive. Number two, there is evil, and God somehow, amazingly, uses it for good. Three, Joseph is tested, and he perseveres. And fourth, Joseph suffers. He is rejected. All of these things point us not to Joseph But point us to how Joseph portends, he's a precursor to Christ. What Joseph does points us to Christ. What Joseph does imperfectly, Christ does perfectly. So we're right in the middle here. We're going to use those four points as a way to understand this this section of Scripture where Joseph, we find him here in prison. And I want to be real clear here. We've talked about this a couple times. This is not primarily a story about Joseph, okay? This is not Joseph's biography. This is a story about God, how God uses sinners, imperfect people, to to deliver his plan. So how is God using Joseph? So Kate is going to come up and read for us. She's going to start, actually, at the very tail end of chapter 39— So, if you're on 40, just look back a couple of verses up to verse 19 of chapter 39 all the way through the end of 40. So, on here. There you go.
1: As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretations. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There was three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Will you pray with me? Lord, I come before you. We come before your word. Lord, we know your word is powerful, Lord. It is able to cut us to our core. It is able to communicate truths about who you are and amazingly who we are in light of who you are. Lord, so I pray that you would come powerfully this morning, Lord, that you would come and prepare all of us, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, that they would be soft, that they would be open to hear what you have to say, Lord, and Lord, that uh, you would help me to communicate clearly uh, to my friends here what what this passage means, Lord, how we here in Mount Airy and now 2023 should understand what you are doing in Joseph's life. Lord, so please come. I need your help. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. So, just a little catch-up, in case you haven't been here, or you're not familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph, as you now know, sitting in prison, not probably uh, a great prison, thinking that there's no color TV, it's probably not four, four meals a day. Um, he describes it as a pit, not a great place to be. Remember, he got here uh, because he was falsely accused by uh, Potiphar's wife, by Mrs. Potiphar, uh, as he was a slave in their house, sold into slavery by his brothers, who betrayed him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, falsely accused, now in prison. So we're really, really at the high point or not so much, of Joseph's life here. Down down in the dumps, in the, in the prison in Egypt. So, like I said, we're going to use um, these four points. I'm using them in a slightly different order just uh, to help us walk through this passage. So we're going to start with, there is evil, and God uses it for good. So, evil. We're in a prison, The whole function of a prison is a result of evil. You don't need a prison if people aren't doing bad things, right? And like I said, we could talk about all of the evil that has been done to Joseph up to this point. Betrayed by his brothers, trapped and blatantly falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar, now in a prison. Lots of evil going on. We've got the evil of what brings these two officers of Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker. These are officers of Pharaoh. We don't know exactly what they did. The text just says they committed an offense against their Lord. But something happened. Something bad happened. Maybe it was a mild offense that Pharaoh just threw them for his own enjoyment down into the pit. Or maybe they actually committed a legitimate crime. Maybe, given their positions as baker and cupbearer, Maybe they tried to poison the king. We we don't know. But there's there's evil there. Something evil happened that caused them to now be in prison. And yet God takes all of this evil that brings us to this prison, this pit, and we're told he uses it for good. Matt flashed forward a couple weeks ago into uh, the later chapters where Joseph realizes this from now a position later in the story. He looks back and sees that all of this evil God used for good. But here, right now, we're amongst the evil. And yet, right here now, amongst the evil, we get to see a little a little piece. It'll become clearer as we go, but a little piece of how God uses evil for good. Joseph interprets these dreams, and that interpretation of the dream leaves an impression on at least the cupbearer who survives the whole ordeal that next, next time we're in this chapter in a few weeks, we'll get to see the, the, the fulfillment of it, right? It makes an impression. That, that impression then leads to the next step, in this, in what God is doing, it leads to the elevation of Joseph to fulfill his purpose. I think the thing to remember here is that God is not somehow surprised by evil, He's not challenged by evil, it's not an obstacle for Him. He doesn't need to find some kind of workaround because now evil got in the way and I uh, plan was over here, but now evil, and so I gotta. This is part. Of how God works. He works through, among, with evil. He doesn't cause evil, but he works and he makes good out of evil. Evil is an opportunity for him to demonstrate his sovereign power. So for us, there is a lot of evil in this world. You turn on the news, you look around, you can see evil. You see death, you see destruction, you see disease, you see suffering. All kinds of things, evil. Are you tempted by that at all? Where is God? What is he doing? Are you tempted to think, in some way, God's losing to evil? Somehow evil is overcoming, evil's winning? Somehow God is, God's plan is thwarted by evil. I think we are to take away from this passage this morning, no. This passage says, have faith. God is powerful. God is working. The evil is opportunity for God to work. The evil is opportunity for God to show his amazing power. Don't be tempted by the evil. Look for God to use evil For good. Point number two. Joseph is tested and perseveres. Like I said, I think it would be fair to say this is the low point for Joseph. Fallen down this continuing hill, it seems, of bad circumstances. Betrayed, sold as a slave, now in prison, under false pretenses, charged for an offense against the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. I'm not sure what the next step below this is, short of death. If you're alive, you're a slave in prison in a foreign land, betrayed by your family, everyone's forgotten you, what what more can be taken away? Freedom, family, reputation. How would you react in that circumstance? Anger? Sadness? Maybe just give up? In the corner, what's left? Can't, can't take anything away? What, what am I supposed to do? Complete disillusionment. Maybe a, maybe a rant about how your right, rights have been trampled upon. Yet what do we find with Joseph? He seems to be, no matter what circumstance we find him in, flourishing. Sold into slavery, he is elevated within the house of his master to the highest position. Remember, we talked about this last week where he is in charge of everything. Potiphar doesn't have to worry about anything. He, he is running the household of his master. And now we find more or less the same circumstance here in prison. The, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with the prisoners. He... Um, See, back in chapter 39, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. He made, the Lord made everything succeed with him. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Joseph flourishes no matter where he's planted. He's, he's literally the embodiment of that kind of cheesy saying, bloom where you're planted, right? He gets transplanted to Egypt as a slave. bloom. He gets thrown in prison, falsely accused. Bloom. New prisoners come in, officers of the king. He's a slave. These are officers. He's been in prison for some amount of time. We don't know exactly how long. He doesn't sneer at them. He doesn't keep his distance. What does he do? He engages with them. He seeks to care for them. He asks them, you appear downcast. We're in prison, man. Downcast? Why are you not downcast? They present him with dreams. And, you know, this is... Uh, <laughs> I, I I was talking with my wife about this. I, I, I hesitate to say this, but I kind of find Joseph annoying, almost. Like, he's ab- almost annoying about how, how much he... Blooms and follows the Lord and what He's doing here. He interprets these dreams. Now, you know, if, if you recall, he the last time he interpreted dreams, we talked about this uh, a while ago. He interprets these dreams that he has about his brothers, and he comes out and tells his brothers, "Hey, did you you got to hear about this dream I had? You're all gonna bow down to me. Isn't this great?" And that that the whole circumstance leads to him in a pit. So now, here he is, literally in a pit in jail, presented with dreams, and, you know, that second dream from the baker, it's kind of rough. Um, you're you're going to die, birds are going to eat your flesh. He, he doesn't shy away from being honest, telling the truth, interpreting, and relaying this dream as it is given to him. There's no fear there about what might happen. So how does, this, how does this happen? Is Joseph just, just a really faithful guy? Very industrious, hardworking, really smart. How is he elevated to these positions? How, how does he maintain this incredible bloom attitude under all of these different circumstances? Well, That's why we read the end of chapter 39. Because it's very clear that it is not Joseph, but the Lord. but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. 39.23, the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So it's not Joseph, it's the Lord working through Joseph. I think that this chapter divide, we talk about this all the time, chapter divide, very unhelpful here, right? It's almost like we stop at the end of 39 and then pick it up, chapter 40, and are like, oh my gosh, what what happened? And forget everything that happened right at the end of 39. What happens at the end of 39 there is supposed to inform everything that then happens in chapter 40 while he's sitting here in prison. So we got to read the end of 39 to understand why Joseph is able to persevere in the prison. And Joseph seems very aware of this, right? When he goes to interpret the dream in verse 8... He says, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So he's not like, hey, I'm really good at interpreting dreams. You should tell me your dream. I've got a history. I've I've interpreted dreams. You should tell me. No, he says, God interprets dreams. Tell me, and maybe God will interpret through me. He's giving all the credits to God. So Joseph seems very aware of the fact that it's not him, it's God. God is with him. Joseph is tested he's in these circumstances they are not good circumstances but he perseveres not because of anything in joseph but because the lord is with him point number 3 god sends joseph and we know that god's purpose in sending joseph to egypt is ultimately going to be revealed to preserve life and keep people alive. But right now, like we said, he's in prison. But he's in prison with a purpose. And he's equipped for that purpose by God. Here in prison, right now in chapter 40, his purpose is to interpret dreams. As we said, a, a, uh, a gifting that God has given him and he's already displayed Uh, back in chapter 37 with his brothers. This is God's plan. It's not a coincidence that the boy, who accurately and honestly, if not to his detriment, interpreted dreams that offended his brothers, now finds himself in prison with an opportunity to interpret dreams. It's not... It's not a coincidence that officers of Pharaoh are sent to prison at the time that Joseph is there to this specific prison and that God gives them dreams. God gives them dreams. God provides Joseph as the person to interpret those dreams. God gave Joseph favor in the prison so that he could actually talk and communicate with these prisoners when they came there. He wasn't chained to a wall across the room such that he couldn't, couldn't communicate with them, couldn't care for them, couldn't interpret these dreams. God did All of this. And he makes that impression on the cupbearer that in the next chapter will become the reason that Joseph is pulled out of prison and given the opportunity to preserve life and keep people alive. This interaction is not happenstance. It's part of God's sending plan. It's this step on the step-by-step process God is leading Joseph through. Tyler pointed out to me this morning, God not only is orchestrating all of this, he is glorified in it. So as he makes all of these steps, he puts all of the pieces in play. The timing is just right. Not only does he orchestrate and make that happen, but he is glorified in He he does all of this to glorify himself, bring himself maximum splendor, maximum majesty. I think sometimes we get a little too used to God doing amazing things. Has anybody been watching NFL playoffs? You know our family. We're kind of a football family. There's been just some amazing football this year. And... You know whether it's uh, Patrick Mahomes making some sneaky pass to Travis Kelsey through a window that's so tight you can't even believe he did it, or Trevor Lawrence and the Jags coming back from like 30 points down or something to win a playoff game and stay alive. Just just some incredible things, and we watch those and we go, "Did you see that? It's amazing!" Let's pull that up on YouTube and watch that clip of that pass. I can't believe that he was able to heave it that far down and the receiver pulled it in. It's amazing. We watch, we're amazed. Do you read this? And are you as amazed by what is happening here as you are when you watch a player catch a ball? We need to be amazed when we see God taking evil and turning it to good. We talked about Judah uh, uh, Judah and Ta- uh, Tamar uh, last week. What an evil set of circumstances that was. Evil. And what comes out of it? Oh, only the lineage to the Savior of the world. It's just something small. Don't worry about it. Nothing to get excited about. Watch that catch again. This is amazing. We should read this and be amazed. God takes the worst things that humanity can come up with, and he turns them in to sending his son to save us. That's incredible. We should read that and be in awe. When I'm done, we're going to sing a song. I'm not done yet, so don't close up. When we're done, I'm going to sing a song. and Man, that song just gets me going. It is, is one of my favorite songs. And it just, it, it really like rallies my heart. God does amazing things. The fact that he comes and pays attention to me who I am, that's amazing. We need to read what God does in, in Scripture, see what God is doing in people's lives, and be amazed. Here with Joseph, God's plan is still going. We don't, we're not seeing the end here of what Joseph's doing. That ball's still in the air. Joseph's got to catch it, right? But we're, we're, we're working our way there. God has a plan to save lives, and he's leading Joseph step by step to the point where he's going to use him powerfully to save lives. All right, fourth point. Joseph's Joseph uh, sorry, Joseph suffers and is rejected. Chapter 40 ends. Go to the very last verse. 23. Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him I think you're supposed to read that and just be just empty like wh- what for how how could he forget him the guy predicted the future twice accurately and it freed you from prison as a result And you're just like, what? This continues this long line of suffering, betrayal, rejection that Joseph has been enduring. He does everything right. He cares for the prisoners. He's forthright and honest about his interpretations. And yet, the cupbearer forgets him. And we find out in the next chapter, he sits in prison for two more years because he just forgot. He's rejected. Forgotten. Left in captivity. This chapter ends, and if you don't know what happens next, it appears that Joseph is stuck. No hope. He had the opportunity. Two officers from Pharaoh, the guy in charge. He interprets their dreams accurately, and he's like, hey man, just remember, you get back up there when you're restored. Remember me. Remember me. Just maybe mention my name. Hey, there's this guy. You might want to check on him. Forgotten. He's got no hope. The cupbearer has forgotten. I think we are supposed to read 40.23 and then look back at the end of chapter 39 and remember that the Lord is was with him. Joseph has no hope from the cupbearer, no hope from the justice system, such as it was, of Pharaoh. His hope is found solely because God is with him. That's it. There's no other hope. Only because God is with him. He is abandoned. He is left, rejected, without hope, from all other sources of hope. He has hope Because God is with him. Listen, Joseph is in prison for God's purpose. And God keeps him in prison for the duration needed to accomplish his purpose. His time in prison is not governed by Joseph's good behavior or his performance or by the cupbearer's memory. It's governed by God's good purpose for him there. God hasn't forgotten Joseph. He's not like the cupbearer. The cup God remembers. God knows. God is working his plan. I think this story is meant to echo and point us forward to another falsely accused criminal who is facing charges alongside two other prisoners. Jesus hanging on the cross in Calvary has two other criminals hanging there beside him. Just as with Joseph, one of those prisoners would die condemned, and one of them would be raised up and saved. Look at on the screen, we're going to put up Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43. Let me read this. One of the criminals who were hanged "'railed at him, saying, "'Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us.' "'But the other rebuked him, saying, "'Do not fear God, "'since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, "'and we indeed justly, "'for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. "'But this man has done nothing wrong.' "'And he said, "'Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom.' And he, this is Jesus, said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The cupbearer did not remember. This fellow criminal cries out, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus responds, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus remembers him. When we recognize Jesus is the Son of God who came with a purpose, that purpose is to save us from death and give us eternal life, to cleanse us and make us new, to make us sons and daughters of the living God, when we cry out, Jesus, remember me, we're calling out to him in his position at the right hand of God that he would Advocate for us, that he would remember us when he is on that throne. Thank God our salvation does not depend on our performance or our memory, on our ability to persevere. Thank God Jesus didn't escape the suffering, but instead endured the cross. He could have escaped, he had full dominion over the wood. And the nails that make up that cross. He, his power holds them together. He could have summoned an army of angels, but he was sent with a purpose to endure the cross, to absorb the wrath of God for all our sins, to conquer death and ascend to the right hand of God and advocate for us. So when we call out, Jesus, remember me in the midst of our suffering, He is there to advocate on our behalf. Like Joseph, there's no other way. Jesus is our only way. And God is with us. If if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God is with us. Emmanuel, right? That's one of the names of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Our only hope is God with us. So church, when we face suffering, and we will, we will face suffering. When we face suffering, we have to remember, this is not a punishment. This is not God punishing us. Jesus came. He has paid your debt fully. There is no punishment left. He absorbed all of it. When we face suffering, God has a purpose in all the events of our life, including suffering. Our tendency seems to be to avoid. I know it is for me, to avoid or minimize or defer suffering. But we're told in John 16, we are told we will face trials. In the world, you will have tribulation. Not you might, not you may, sometimes, mm, I'm not sure. You will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is Jesus speaking you will have tribulation. And the answer is not to avoid it, deny it, grow cold, hide in the corner, be downcast. What you need to do is take heart in what Christ has done. Rely on Him and in Him alone. This is what we see in Joseph. He is able to persevere because God is with him. He relies on God alone alone first peter chapter 4 says it a little differently beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice insofar as you share christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed we shouldn't be surprised these aren't surprises god's not surprised We shouldn't be surprised. Trials will come. As in the life of Joseph, they're a sign that God is using us for His purposes. So we should rejoice that we get to endure suffering just as Christ did. I don't say that knowing it's easy. I know it's hard. We all face trials. They are hard. They are hard. I don't say this. These are not empty words of fight harder. This is turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Jesus promises trials. He promises he has overcome. And he promises that he is with us and he will bring us to paradise with him. Pray with me. Dear Lord, I pray for my friends. I know there are people in this room that even today, even at this moment, are facing trials of various kinds. Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you are with them. You are standing beside them. That you have not forgotten them, but you remember that you know you are sovereign in whatever it is that they are facing, Lord. Lord, I I pray that you would show them an abundance of kindness. Give them uh, an increased faith that you are there beside them, Lord, that you will continue to walk with them wherever it is that this trial goes, Lord. And Lord, although we may not understand what you're doing in this world with the evil that is all around us. We may not understand why we're facing this trial, Lord. I pray that you would give us all full faith that you are working, Lord, and that you are working to make good out of what is evil. That you have purpose in the trials that we face, Lord, and that your plan is not thwarted by evil, it is not thwarted by our failures is not thwarted by our sin. Lord, that you are sovereign and you are powerful and you use all of these things for our good and for your glory. Pray all this in your son's holy name.